0: Hey, everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. My guest on today is a good friend of mine, Steve Ehrlich. Steve is a veteran in the capital market space, getting involved in equities and capital markets in the 1980s. He has worked in the industry for more than 25 years, starting his career at a company called TIR Securities in an institutional brokerage that he started that was sold to ETrade Financial back in like 94 or something like that. Steve was asked to join eTrade Financial and spent seven years at the company, ultimately rising to CEO of the eTrade professional trading department within eTrade, which later became Lightspeed Financial. And under Steve's lead, Lightspeed became the third largest brokerage in the United States and executed an average of 450,000 trades per day by 2009. Following his time at Lightspeed, Steve founded Voyager Digital in 2017. And Voyager Digital, I'm excited that I've been an advisor to Voyager for the past six months. is a licensed crypto asset broker that provides retail and institutional investors a turnkey solution to trade crypto assets using their smart router technology. And it's super cool what it does by getting you the best price at any different exchange, buying and selling. Steve knows so much about everything, and we jumped right into it, going back into what infrastructure looked like back in the 80s and 90s. The parallels, the comparisons to crypto then and now we went into how he basically changed the concept of calling your broker on the phone to them being able to back in 94, being able to buy and sell a stock via an API in the days when people didn't even have personal computers. Crazy shit. Anyways, you're going to enjoy the episode. I'll talk to you guys right in a second. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, BitPanda, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear more about them later on on this episode. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, Hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the BlockWorks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at BlockWorksGroup.io. That's BlockWorksGroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. I'm here today with Steve Ehrlich, the founder and CEO of InvestVoyager, InvestVoyager.com. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Charlie, thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to learn more about me and, and Voyager.
0: Steve, I'm, I'm I'm happy that we were able to to meet and get to know each other. Um, full disclosure to all the listeners, um, I've been an advisor for Voyager for, for a few months now and working with them since they launched, and it's been really, really wonderful. And I'm happy that I was able to to get to know you um, a little bit before uh, doing, you know, doing the research for the show. But at the same time, I found some like really cool information. It's good that I'm able to ask you and we can tell some stories and it'll be it'll be fresh for the first time, um, you know, for me to listen. So let's so let's jump right into it. Um, you started your career um you started your career back in the 1980s as a CPA, you know, right, right in New York City, and then eventually you made the transition uh, in in '94, uh, and you were the um, chief financial officer and chief compliance officer and compliance officer at TIR Securities that ended up uh, being purchased by E-Trade. But the question I had for you is, I mean. In 1994, in the early 90s, at the dawn of like the internization of things or whatever—I don't know, whatever the verb—you, what was the 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 financial world like back then, and what was the compliance world like? What what were people focusing on? What were the conversations of the day like? What was daily life like? What what were your daily tasks, and and how were they done? I'm just trying to, like, frame us into the world
1: back in those years. Yeah, way back when uh, I think when dinosaurs yeah roam the earth, you know, <laughs> not, right. Yeah, but I'll give you something more interesting. My very first day in 1987, CPA, starting my first day at an accounting firm uh, in New York City, 40th and Broadway, uh, BDO Seedman, Very first day was the October market crash. My mm-hmm. very first day of work ever, you know, leaving college four months later, I walk out of the office and all you saw was people with sad faces. And that was when I started to realize I was actually you know, I have to make a living and I have to actually learn about more than just the little world I lived in, in my, in my college days. So that was my first day ever in, in the working What in the happened working that day?
0: For those who don't know.
1: That was that uh, market crash of October 87, uh, where the first time the stock market dropped, you know, so many percentage points that day. And it hadn't happened really since the great depression and people didn't know how to react. And, that market was a different market, and that leads me into 1994. That market was different. There was no electronic trading. There was calling down, calling a broker, calling to the floor. So if you were trying to buy or you know really sell your stocks that day as it was crashing, you had to call your broker. Imagine that, picking up your phone, actually calling your broker. Uh, I can tell you how many brokers picked up the phone that day. Not many. Oh, man. Uh, and so the, the, these things we're seeing today with the issues with technology and, and brokers uh, way back then was worse because you couldn't get the broker on the phone when you wanted to sell your shares, especially well, what, if you were a small guy.
0: What was considered like a technical advancement, technology advancement? Like what would be something that... Um, the older folks would have pushed back with if you were to like, you know, maybe doing the trades on, uh, on an old computer instead of a a little chit or something, something like, like what would be uh, a technological revolution back then that you guys changed? I know there were a lot of talks about computers and APIs was, was the personal computer even in your office? No.
1: Well, we had a personal computer. Uh, You know, the first ones when I worked in public accounting were the size of a giant briefcase. They were heavy. Uh, the screens were like six inches, maybe. Uh, and then when I got to TIR in 94, we did have desktop computers and email was really slow. Uh, you still really couldn't send a lot of emails without taking a lot of time. It didn't go that fast. And trading uh, by 94, the really only technological advancement at that point was what they called the instant green screen. So you, that was the over-the-counter market. Uh, Nasdaq over the counter market, that was done by entering your trades on a green screen and finding the counterparty to your trade. The other trades on, on the NYSE, we would literally call down our $2 broker on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for him to go in the pits and execute the trades. It was, you know, and the the pushback was already on the internet side, but we realized and, and the market realized you needed that to make it a little bit better to trade on. But the New York Stock Exchange, it took years, you know, many more years later before you start having electronic tr- uh, trades go through there. Uh, and you had SOS trades and, and the small order execution system that was the first to come that, that some people may have abused. But that's, it was a different time. I mean, it was calling down the, to the floor of the exchange was something that was, you basically had a direct line to your $2 broker on the floor of the exchange. Wow. Uh, And just to explain, $2 broker was for those small firms that didn't have their own floor seats because they were too expensive, they would basically rent it from what they called a $2 broker.
0: So the reason I I started off and asked you these questions is because I want to start drawing parallels and and show that you're in a very unique position, uh, in a position that not very many people in our industry are in. And that is that you are involved in, uh, worked in, built grew, sold businesses to, purchased, you know, acquired, all relating to efficiencies relating to the stock market back in the 90s. Uh, And so when you would launched Voyager, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, it seems to me like just from the research and from talking to you, you're looking for like the same inefficiencies in in the crypto world as you saw in the early 90s in the, you know, equities and and stock trading worlds. What type of, like, when those efficiencies were, where when, when you were involved in those in, in, in kind of bridging those gaps of some of those efficiencies and a basic thing, like not having to like call your, your broker or an API. Was anyone ever using an API back then? I guess like, was anyone doing anything related to computers?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, the, the concept of APIs and opening up your API to outside parties didn't come from many, many, many years later. Uh, you basically wrote your APIs to use your systems to talk to your own systems, not to expose them to the outside world. Uh, but that is part of what gets me excited about the crypto world, you know, is how I've seen the, the landscape change in the equities and the traditional space for so many years. I mean, we were an institutional broker calling down our trades to the floor of the exchange, uh Jared lillian uh was our, our ceo and he's now a member of our board and the ceo of wisdom tree at this point we we had an opportunity and we looked at an online broker to actually buy when we were at tir and merging in and that's when we started realizing the impact of online brokerage and the efficiencies that would come from doing that i mean settlement of just trades on the back end of the institutional world was quite complex uh, as well, so we saw that 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 efficiency was going to come, uh, and that's when we sold TIR to ETrade, and the team wound up taking over most of the brokerage of ETrade and, and building out the entire capabilities of what ETrade has today. And you see, ETrade you know performs extremely well in volatile markets right now. So I think that we saw that all coming. And we felt like we wanted to be part of that because that's where brokerage was going. And it took institutional brokerage many, you know, five or six years later to really jump into, into online and using the computers more. Uh, but the retail side was in 1999 when we sold TIR to, to E-Trade. That was the beginning of really building a confidence in the market by retail investors. And that's changed the entire market over the last 20 years.
0: What's so interesting is that the concept of, of what you're describing like a brokerage, it didn't exist uh, in Bitcoin or crypto up until very recently. Um, and, you know, the, con- the, the the business idea, I never really thought about, but um, when I had launched Ben Instant in 2011, I was looking at Ben Instant as like a Bitcoin exchange or whatever, but really it was very similar to, to a broker. And maybe that would have been a better category because we were buying Bitcoin on behalf of, you know, our customers. But... What's interesting, and then we ended up selling it from our own supply. But what's what's interesting about that is what you just described <clears throat> of being of calling your broker, you know, at two a.m. Um, to buy large amounts of or, or to buy any amount. Um, that's still that's still the way it's done today. Um, although many people are using brokers, um, prime brokers, you know, Voyager um, are people using Voyager for like large amounts, or um, I'm seeing like. When it comes to VIP, OTC, purchasing, you know, buying and selling of different crypto, people are still wanting that or looking for that like broker relationship. But it's usually that the younger generation like mine is it, you think it's because like I never I missed out on I never got to have that broker relationship. The person I could call be like, buy me thousand Bitcoin today. You know, I never got that.
1: Well, don't, don't feel like you've missed out on it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's far better today than it ever was. Uh, but look, I think, and you and I spoke about this, is that you were the original broker of Bitcoin. And we've just taken it into a different world. And you asked the question about size. Uh, the way we've built our smart order router, which again goes back to 20 years of experience in the capital markets with retail and institutional flow for myself and my team is that we handle very large orders through our APIs and through our our mobile apps today. And it gets done in, in traditionally in less than two seconds, every single trade. And two seconds is an important hurdle that I always reference because those who were in the online brokerage space in the late 90s, early 2000s, remember the two second guarantee that first came out. Uh, equity trades weren't done that fast. And then you had the two-second guarantee, then the one-second guarantee. Uh, and today- Oh, we can wow, do, that's so cool. It's it's back to the parallels, right? I think if uh, uh, my machine it went back to the future here, you would see the same things that are coming back out but just in a different asset class today. And so we, we pride ourselves on the fact that we get every every trade done in less than two seconds. 99% of them are done in, in micro, microseconds. Uh, that's exactly how E-Trade started to develop into. And when I ran my own online broker, Lightspeed Financial, that's how we built the business. We were We talked in microseconds. And that's where I think this world... Is absolutely going to and how our router was built, but it is, it's, it's the same as new again.
0: Yeah. And, and the smart router technology is, is what you're referencing. What, what was your first exposure to our industry? I'm I'm, I'm curious. I, I didn't plan for this question. I'm more of like, you know, the, not the first time you heard of Bitcoin, and maybe I should ask this question to, to, to some other guests. I've never asked it is what is your, what was your first like exposure to the industry?
1: I'd have to say I was not like probably many of your, your guests that got in in the 2010, 11, 12, you know, 14 range. Uh, I was a later adopter, a later believer, uh, 2016 or so. Um, you know, I saw what was going on. I paid a little bit of attention, did my research, but I was still knee deep in 12 and 13, knee deep in running Lightspeed Financial as a professional trading shop. That delivered probably the best technology for active and professional traders in the industry, where people were copying us, like Schwab and uh, Ameritrade and ThinkOrSwim were all copies of of the Lightspeed business. And we were doing four hundred fifty thousand trades a day by two thousand and eight. So, uh, you know, I think I was a later adopter because I was so focused on that business. Then I went into an API brokerage to learn more about APIs. Uh, my first. You know, I really got exposed to it by some friends of mine. Uh, I diehard hockey fan. I ran an ice hockey program for youth uh, in the Norwalk, Stanford area for years. And one of my coaches and good friends took me on a a trip to Brooklyn one day uh, because we needed coaches to help out. So I was on the bench with him and he gave me the whole tutorial about altcoins and bitcoins. And uh, he happens to be a really good friend. Another friend of his, we sat for three hours and going through before and after the game. So I could learn more, and that's when I realized there's an agency business to be done from this. Uh, and those guys are investors, and in, in, in today uh, appreciate their investment. And it's really made me take a different look. And that's where where we thought there was an opportunity on the agency side of this business.
0: You're, you're working in an, in an industry that's largely made up of, of still um, folks like me, kind of like the younger came in and not younger age wise. It's more of like in terms of when they got involved in the space, um, you know, executives and CEOs of these major financial companies. I'm talking about um, folks who have never. Uh, we've never had experience running companies before. And, and you know, here you are, you're, you're incoming and you're bringing uh, a, a wealth of experience. Um, do you find the community is receptive to your knowledge and your like advice and your experience or is our industry like we know what we're doing? Leave me alone.
1: No, I think it's actually been a good, uh, good marriage between my experience level uh and then a lot of the folks who've been We're in the industry for a long time. We're lucky to have you. Well, I'm, I'm lucky to be surrounded by people like yourself who see things differently than me. I mean, I have uh, two kids that are 21 and 25, and I get a lot of insight from what they see, too, because, you know, I can't see the world through the prism of a 55-year-old individual. I have got to look at the world through the prism of how others see it and how others who are looking at this industry differently than me, and incorporate those those opinions and what they see into the next generation of financial services. And without being surrounded by you and others, and and even my own team that is quite, quite young, it can't be the business that I want it to be. Because I see things one way, I'm open to a lot of ideas and suggestions and how to move the business forward. And I know how to professionally do it, but I need the ideas of people who live a little differently than I did when I was 30 years old. So it's important to be around uh, a wide group of people that you respect uh, and understand where they're coming from and digest that to make it a really professional business.
0: I completely agree. Um, Finding those people could be hard sometimes and also managing that like corporate culture. you know, at your company, you mentioned earlier that you guys work out of a out of a co-working space. Um, what is what is a Voyager company culture like? I, I've I've had the, the fortunate um, I've I've been very fortunate to meet most of the team already. Um, but what's it I mean do you do you balance a a hiring process of like crypto folk and then a balance of people that come in from the traditional industry that don't know? And I'm I'm more curious, not just you, but um, more of like other business owners in, in the industry in New York that you talk to in, in you know, in crypto. Um, how, do, how do you guys manage this? How do you how do you manage being a, a CD, CEO of a crypto business on a day to day basis? Because I haven't been one in, in six years.
1: It's uh, I feel fortunate to be in the position I am today. I uh, have a, had a lot of great mentors along the way. And one of them I mentioned, Jarrett Lillian, uh, just a great mentor to teach me how to put together and how cultures evolve in companies. Uh, And then by being the CEO, I get the ability to meet a lot of great people in, especially in the New York area, uh, who are CEOs or COOs of high-end businesses, whether it's, it's a crypto digital asset business or if it's a traditional business. And that gives me a lot of perspective on how to build things. And I think from a Voyager culture perspective, it's pretty much the same culture I've been Uh, I started with and learned under the TIR world where it's really inclusive. Uh, We believe that everybody's opinion counts. Uh, Not everybody's right all the time, but you have to be able to be in a free environment where your opinion is able to be said without any punitive damage to it, whether right, wrong, or controversial, that's the way it needs to be. Uh, and, And a lot of that also comes back to me, not just working in businesses like TIR and then Lightspeed and building that, but just from i'm a big sports guy i played sports all my all my life uh, played college lacrosse and was part of a team you know a team of 30 and 40 and you, you don't always get along with everyone but you're working towards a common goal and that's why it's such an open environment i really like being in a co-working space where where all of us are in one space because people can hear and see and and do things, uh, and express their opinion. And we could have conversations about them on a moment's notice. And that's the culture I really like to be around is a really inclusive culture without a lot of hierarchy. Uh, but people feel that they're really important. But wait, but, but
0: you, you, so, so you're, so you're running a, a a business in a, in an industry that is heavy, you know, has heavy compliance, heavy regulation, uh, and heavy bureaucracy. So it's nice to see that you say that. Um, but at the same time, I've never heard—I love hockey, by the way. I know you like hockey, too. I've never—are you a Rangers or Islanders fan?
1: Uh, I'm a, a diehard Ranger fan. You know, the uh, Rangers really, are playing
0: Tampa Bay Lightning at the end of March. I'm trying to go to the game, maybe, or early uh, April.
1: I may have to come down and uh, join you for that. You one. should. We're going to sit on the Rangers side. Seriously, um, we are. Oh, we got to have the Ranger jersey. What's the number? What you wear a jersey? Who's the number you wear?
0: I I haven't worn a jersey in years, so I don't know. Uh, I haven't worn a jersey since Wayne Gretzky. I'm
1: going to get you one. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will absolutely get you a jersey. Uh expect it in the next couple of weeks. Gretzky, I'll get you a 99. That's easy. That's you, retired. That's a nice one. Yeah.
0: You you don't think when someone is is uh an, you know using an analogy of how they want to run their business, you, no one really says hockey team. So it was a little like taken it back just now, but now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually a very good analogy because businesses are not these slow-paced, you know, like defensive um things. They are constantly fast-paced, high strung, offensive. Um, I don't want to say things, but you know, uh, um, you know, life, whatever. So when people say, "Oh, my, I want to run my business like I run a book club," I'm like, "What?" But a <laughs> hockey team makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, look, I think, uh, like I said, I played college lacrosse. Uh, I ran and built youth hockey programs from from scratch to three hundred kids in literally three years. Uh, and so I understand inclusiveness. I understand that businesses do have to run like sports teams in a lot of ways, you know, the the basketball. I played basketball too growing up in in high school on Long Island. Uh, you know, you do have to be able to move on a dime as as a company. And that's what sports makes you do. I mean, you're challenged at every point in time during the game and you have to be able to make decisions quickly and accurately. And you're not always right. Right. And I think that's the other part of the culture that I like to be around and try to develop is you know, I want people to be creative thinkers and make mistakes. You, you forgetting the compliance for a second, because compliance—you don't have that same same world of making mistakes. You've got to be right ninety-nine percent of the time. Um, but I think, from a business perspective, on your business plans and driving a business, look—you're not going to be right that much. As long as you you correct your errors and, and learn from your mistakes, that's the environment that really helps people grow as individuals. And in a perfect world, I, this day and age, nobody stays at a company for 30 years anymore. Companies don't stay in existence for 30 years. They sell, they move on. Uh, and so you got to let people give them the freedom to make those decisions and grow as individuals. And not just for the company's sake, but for the individual's sake.
0: You had you had written um, in an interview, I think, I think a year ago or a few months ago, um, that you had, you, you had seen the internet ization of information and media uh, in the 90s, and and that's you know you were very much a part of that. And then when you had been exposed to to crypto, uh, it seemed like you said that money seemed like the logical next step. Um, that being said, when you looked into the existing infrastructure, you could see that it was lacking many of the components that drove equities and online trading to be successful. Um, are we are we at that level yet is the infrastructure like what would you compare it to where is our infrastructure today uh compared to where it was and where do we need to be at for us to like say okay our in our, our speculatory price discovery and trading infrastructure is um is great like let's focus on something else
1: wow we can go on for hours just on that question um, because I think the infrastructure still in the you know, first period of of a hockey game, yeah. uh, and early in the first period, I believe that you know we have to speed up uh, and work on uh, expediting uh, trading. I believe the price discovery is is why we exist at Voyager today, because each exchange running their own price discovery uh, with depth of books that most of the retail environment doesn't understand how to how to read or look at a level two, they're like, what is this? Um, so price discovery needs to be done by brokers, but as ex- exchanges aren't interoperable, you know, like have in the equities market where a national best spin offer. Now I understand that's a lot more complex in the, in the digital space, but I think that's where this needs to start going. Uh, and brokers need to really play the play the middleman here to do all the all the heavy lifting of connecting to the multiple exchanges to really do the price discovery for consumers. If we really want adoption across a much larger scale than it is today, we need to make this easy and need to have price discovery and belief that you're actually getting the best price available to consumers so they can actually participate in this space. And I think product-wise, we're starting to see some things that make people comfortable but there's a long way to go and that's the mantra of what we're trying to do at voyager is bring things that you would traditionally look at at online brokers or even your your broker at morgan stanley and i guess morgan stanley's e-trade these days um or e-trades morgan stanley we want to bring those products to the market because and i like i said we're in the first half of the first period of a hockey game
0: And I want to talk about Bitpanda for a second. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we're working with them and we have been for a few months now. They love me and I love them. So I'm asking that you give them some love and some support, especially if you're listening from Europe. Bitpanda is the leading European platform for investing in digital assets. It doesn't hurt. Actually, it helps that they're based out of Austria, which is one of my favorite countries in the world. And Vienna is. One of my favorite cities in the world to visit. I try to go as frequently as I can. And, you know, meeting up with the Bitpanda team is always a pleasure. I really like Bitpanda's approach. Why? Well, basically, what they're doing is to apply the same tech that we're used to from Bitcoin and apply it to other digitized assets. And And I'll explain why. And, and if you check out their website, you'll understand how that actually works. Because they're really pushing hard for bringing crypto to the masses and, and educate people on the topic. Unlike other companies that just want to really give love to their customers, Bitpanda is giving love and, and, and spending money on mass adoption, just bringing more people into Bitcoin with their recently launched educational platform. It's not only free, it's called Bitpanda Academy. It's not only free, but you'll actually learn and you'll earn five euro just for taking quizzes on their site, so it's a great way to force you to learn more about Bitcoin. Check them out again; they give me love, so I'm asking for you, my listeners, to give them some love. in In 2011, so before the hockey game even started, um, most people cared about buying Bitcoin, um, and so when I started BitInstant, that was that's what it was. It was it was buying Bitcoin, um, but then. Very quickly, myself and some other companies very, very quickly realized that there are no easy ways to sell Bitcoin and we need to make it easier. Well, we're so focused on getting it that no one even cared to say, let's sell it. And I remember if and if you look at the early forum post, I had talked about, yeah, I want to launch like the ability to just even like mail you a check. Like I didn't even have the infrastructure to do ACH, bank transfers. It was a manual process of like mailing people checks just to sell Bitcoin. And I talked about, um, and I know not every story, you know, every question doesn't need a story or an antidote, but this one does. Um, the question I have for you is um, how important is price discovery? Because when I talked about bringing on like, you know, potentially doing a, 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 a bitcoin debit card so people can sell bitcoin or doing the ability to make it easy to sell i got a ton of flack people saying why would you want people to sell bitcoin why would you encourage that why 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 and i tried to explain in my limited you know 20 year old self where i understood these concepts but didn't know how to convey them into words that you need the ability for people to buy and sell an asset in order for that asset to have a true value um i i didn't know that had meant you know, price discovery, how important you're, is price discovery?
1: Yeah, you're, you're, you're 100% right though. If you don't give people the opportunity to sell their asset, you wind up with a, a coffee cup on your desk, right? I mean, it's, you can't resell it. So you wanna give people a liquid market. So when they, you know, everybody's financial situation and how much money they want to look at making and their return is different. That was, that's what makes us who we are. Everybody's risk parameters are different. Uh, so price discovery is important because I think when you're buying or selling something, you want to try to do it, you know, close to the best price you possibly can, you know, to make your most, your, your highest return. Now there will always be a segment of people and we have customers like this that will always hold a certain level of, of say Bitcoin and they'll trade outside of that. So maybe they hold five Bitcoin. I'm one of those people. Yeah. and, And so am I actually, um, you know i believe in the long-term uh vision of bitcoin and where it's going and you know things that are happening in in our world today make it more and more powerful you know with with you know the virus and all that so i think it's it's important for price discovery and it's even more important for price discovery when you go to other other assets like uh down the altcoin spectrum and You know, therefore, trying to find pricing is really even more important. Bitcoin's pretty liquid, uh, but still price discovery is important. The altcoins are even more.
0: I feel like, um, and I'll just give a perfect example. Uh, Someone showed me an altcoin the other day and it's like, yeah, look, it's trading so well and everything. I'm like, great. So I investigate one of the exchanges that it's trading on and you can't deposit that asset at that exchange. So I'm saying to myself, so this is all just buying power. There's no seller volume on the other side to balance it out. So it's not a, a true, a true price. That's why it's so important.
1: Well, that's why it's one of the reasons my co-founders and I put together the business. And, uh, we looked at that and said, that's a problem. You know, people see a price at one exchange and really, if it's not actionable, if you can't make the deposit there, if you can't do a fiat on-ramp, if you can't get your cash off is it really accessible? And the answer is no. And so that's why we went through our process of fi- finding places that, exchanges that we know we could move assets quickly, uh, fairly, and give consumers that product. So therefore then there is depth of liquidity and there is price discovery. But you're right, and that's a problem. You know, That's what makes this, gives the industry a little bit of a, a, a bad name and people we can't yes. get the regulators around this because they see some of these exchanges where it, they're, they're not really operating as an exchange and people can't get their money or coins off. That's not a good position.
0: Well, so even even the SEC has said that there will be no Bitcoin ETF until there is a, a, a fair market. And, you know, we scoffed at that. Uh, why we, I mean, uh, some of the earlier crypto folk. And, and we shouldn't have. We're wrong in that. And and she was right, you know. And, and and you know, um, in, in, in that... Bitcoin is still very manipulable. It's still very, you know, there's a dollar value to manipulate the Bitcoin market and it's not a good thing. And so with Voyager's smart router technology, and I want, if possible, you can explain a little bit more about it and why it's so important. But I think that what you're doing for Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum are, yes, are great. And I know you have like 15 currencies and if you can name them, but what you're talking about, like what, you're, what you guys offer, we don't need it for 15. We need it for... Five thousand. We need it for every single. If every single altcoin was in, had access to your smart router technology, you would have perfect price discovery for every single crypto out there. Perfect
1: price discovery, and every every coin would welcome that. And we're at thirty four coins today, wow. and we're always looking to expand it. And but we agree with that thesis that these assets are. You know, it's kind of. I look at the stock market in 1999 uh, and, you know, many people remember pets.com with the silly uh, sock puppet on the Super Bowl commercial. Right. And people are like, well, they're they're a valid company. They filed an S1 and they got registered on the, the NASDAQ. So they must be a real company. And literally, you know, two years later, they were bankrupt. So, you know, the speculative nature of people, whether it's the stock market or digital assets is one and the same. And people are, are again it comes back to risk parameters. So
0: what was pets.com?
1: Oh uh, pets.com. Pet if if, if it was a, an online it was the precursor to like Chewy. It was a online selling uh, But everyone uses retail. pets.com as like the
0: analogy to describe the dot com crash. Why why did pets.com become that like become the poster child for the
1: for the crash? Oh pretty simple. A silly sock puppet.
0: Oh, Oh, so they're like – their whatever, their mascot was like a sock
1: puppet or something? They did a Super Bowl commercial with a sock puppet.
0: So they spent millions of dollars on a Super Bowl commercial and then declared bankruptcy. Okay, so that's the whole – that's the whole thing. Okay, so in in concept, um, you have – Voyager in the middle. You have all these exchanges, all these order books in real time. And you have Voyager in the middle. This is the smart router technology. Someone can come to you and get the perfect price at any time for buying and selling. How does it work? And can you describe it a little bit better than I just did?
1: Yeah, we take in feeds from about 10 or 12 market makers and exchanges. And some of the market makers that we use have... Just a, an enormous amount of liquidity. So we look across the globe, and when you open our app and you get a quote, uh, you'll see the price on our market screen of a price of it, Bitcoin. You go to buy, there's a bid and ask, just like there would be in any normal uh, E trade or anywhere else. And when you go to buy, you will always get the ask. And when you sell, you will always get the bid. And that price, we We give you that price, you're guaranteed on that price, and our router allows us to guarantee you that price because we know we can execute it at that or better in the market. And many times we give you price improvement. So our router is actually scanning the market and trying to do this in microseconds to make sure you're guaranteed that price and see if we can get you better.
0: Have, Have you ever been in a situation where you guaranteed a price and something happened and you took like a hit or a loss on that? Does that happen?
1: Uh. It happens to a small, small, small degree, but not um, to the customers. You you take the never, to the okay. never to the customer. Never to the customer. Because that's the first customer. thing
0: people ask me. That's because you know that's very important what you're what you're what you're talking about.
1: Guaranteed price. Uh, if there's slippage at all on our router, uh, due to there could be a million reasons why, uh, we eat that slippage. Uh, it's a, it really is important to know. It's like when you hit that button to buy, that's your price. There's no variable variable price that comes later. There's no commission. That is your price. So you're guaranteed that.
0: I don't know if you know this. I was telling Mateo a few weeks ago that, um, so I've, you know, I've created accounts at you know, all of uh, Coinbase and and a lot of them because I like playing around with them. Even, you know, I just created an account at the Cash App the other day. Um, Voy- I use a very small local credit union here in Florida and Voyager, you were the only app that I was able to connect my credit union into the app directly and buy Bitcoin and you know, cause it's a small credit union, online access doesn't work with all the other apps. So that was really kind of cool. You really are making it easy to, to buy and sell um, all different cryptos.
1: Our belief is to, to, and it's working with others too. It's working with all those parties you named there that we want to grow the number of people in the U S and we're U S centric right now. We're looking to expand internationally as we, uh, improve our KYC and AML procedures, and work through the banking rules globally. We will, we will be there by 2021, but for now, it's U.S. focused. Our goal is to really bring digital assets to the general public in the U.S. We've got to increase the exposure in podcasts like yours, uh, news articles that come out, and just anything we can do to get people uh, to realize this is an asset class. They should have a piece of their assets is really important, and it has to be done not just by Voyager. It's it has to be yeah, done by us and our competitors working together.
0: You you joined the industry somewhat late. I wouldn't say late, but you're you're already pioneering, and and in that sense, I think you were the first. Um, I'm pretty sure to do a reverse to- token merger, um, and because I'm I was doing the research and looking into it. And you literally took a concept that was around in equities for, I mean, dozens of years, right? Like doing a reverse merger. And you took this concept and applied it to to, uh, to crypto. Not only that, got approval of the regulators uh, to do it. And you're traded, you know, you're publicly traded and listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. So, you know, you did all that. Uh, I mean, you, you, you took a project ethos that was around before and- uh, you you brought the project, which which came with a uh, a universal wallet, um, a development team that was involved in crypto a very long time. I know you know everyone knows you know Shingo and and everyone there, um, and you and you you took that over doing a reverse token merger. I mean, first of all, how did you come up with the concept of saying like say Hey, I want to do this?" Then, how did you get the regulators to agree with that?
1: And then on top of that. Like, how did it all work out just logistically? Well, uh, first, we we realized that in this industry, we needed uh, more uh, blockchain technology, more knowledge about the blockchain than what we had within our existing environment at Voyager. And so Shingo and Ethos and the team were a perfect fit for us. We, we also realized that not everybody uh, wants us to do the custody for them of the coins, and there's a substantial market for self custody. And we felt the Ethos Wallet was a great add-on for our business. And combined now between the Ethos Wallet holders and a Voyager brokerage, and then with the, the the circle customers coming on board soon, we're well over two hundred thousand consumers globally. So we've done that in really a year of launch of our product. So. Uh, it's been pretty quick, but we we knew we needed to add more pieces to our puzzle and being a public company in Canada really helped uh, working with the Ethos family and getting them on board. And I think it was important for us to have a token that we're building utility on. Uh, now, I mean, we're starting with some rewards programs and we're doing a live. We're going to bring the custody product into the brokerage app and have a self custody within the app which will be nobody in the industry has done that. I
0: love that. I never heard of anyone doing that.
1: Yeah. And so you could actually live trade right out of your your wallet, but also keep assets with us at a moment's notice and trade and take advantage of swings in the market. And we saw that vision. Uh, We had that vision. Uh, Our CMO at the time, uh, Steve Capone and I sat down and looked at product offering and what we needed to get to. And the wallet was one piece and it's just the first piece. I mean, we're 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 active in the market looking for a product that can really help customers uh, and help us grow the business.
0: You talk about being a a, a publicly traded company. Um, and that's something that I should have mentioned, like when we had first started. I apologize. But um you know, we, we we talk about being a, a a publicly traded company. You remember on on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, I tweeted something about about Voyager, and someone responded, and they're like, "Who are these people? You know, they're not transparent, they're a scam, or whatever." And you and I responded, and we're like, "I forgot who said what," but I was like. Voyager is a publicly traded company. And so in fact, they are more transparent than every single other company. They legally have to be more transparent than most of the other companies in our industry. So it's the opposite of what you're talking about. Why would you want to open yourself up to that?
1: Of uh, transparency. I of think just extreme
0: was. transparency, I get Like yeah. not self regulatory transparency, but just like government transparency.
1: We put our money where our mouths are on this one. We said, let's be transparent. Let's be the first one to go public as an agency broker in the digital asset space and go through the, the exams that are necessary to keep your listening. And it was really an important aspect for us to do that. We felt it would be game changing for the industry. Uh, I can tell you, you're, we're at June 30th year end. Our audited financials were done. Uh, albeit a little late, uh, because of the rules on the SEC and the Canadian Public Accountancy Board rules, uh, took us a little longer to get done. But going through that audit was as much as going through a SOC audit that some of the custodians have gone through. Um, uh, crudely, I tend to say that it was the worst colonoscopy anyone could ever yeah. <laughs> go it was that bad. Uh, but we, we got through it. And we learned a lot about how to uh, go forward for the next audit and how to put even more procedures in place to make customers comfortable. And we felt that this transparency was just that important. And, you know, we recently released our December quarter, which is our Q2 numbers. Um, And March will come uh, and, and people will see the business growing. And it's not just us BSing the world on we have 10 million customers. It's us actually showing the world our numbers and what we're doing and being proud of them, not being scared of them, but being proud of of a growing business in a growing industry.
0: As they say, from, from your mouth to, to God's ears, you know, growing, growing that industry and, um, and being proud of those numbers. Um, I wanted to ask you about dealing with, you know, on the audit and, and dealing with regulators, um, do you see that's changed uh, in terms of the uh, the way regulators treat you, the way auditors treat you, and our industry has has that changed or that you know is it the same?
1: I think there's a growing respect mm. about what's going on now. Oh, I never and heard I, anyone say that. Yeah, I really I really believe there's a growing respect with regulators with auditors, uh, with exchange, you know, with, with equity exchange operators. And I think that they, they see that the world is different um, and that they don't want to be left behind, but at the same time, they need to learn more. And we're one of the places where we get calls all the time, asking questions, uh, not from an, an inspection, but just trying to learn and being in New York as well is, is, is very good for us as a public company. I get to meet a lot of people in across a lot of industries, including auditors and uh, internal auditors and just trying to pick brains. And, and both of us, it's a back and forth learning experience where people are trying to learn how people do things better and learn how the industry works more and more. And I, that's why I say it's a growing respect that's happening and a transformation is happening and putting your head in the stand and thinking it's not going to, to happen at a greater level is foolish. And I think that's where people are starting to say, let me learn more.
0: So it's more of like a greater respect in like, oh, hey, now I actually want to learn. You know, they they want to learn, they want to be educated as opposed to like they have to be for the sake
1: of their jobs. Correct. I think that's, look, I think the, especially when you, you think about uh, a younger generation uh, like yourself, I think there's a, One of the things that I think is amazing is that there's always the younger generation is much more open to ideas and learning. Uh, It took me years to to get my mind open and and open it up to learn about things I didn't know about. And I think that's one of the things I respect about my team a lot, too, is that they're open to learning and ideas. and, And the conversation you and I are having about the similarities to the equity, they're asking me questions all the time. Like what'd you do back when, when, when did E-Trade ever crash? Yeah. Did, you know, what'd you do when it crashed? What do you know? How do we prevent this? What did you
0: do when it crashed? I mean, like, what was a, what did a crash look like? A pe- pile of papers falling on the floor?
1: Well, it, <laughs> it, it, it never crashed in the, in the TIR world because it wasn't electronic, but I remember being at E-Trade in the days and I used to spend a lot of time in their uh, California Rancho Cordova office where a lot of the service was. And if you had an outage, uh, first and foremost, the regulators were intrigued, uh, to say the least, and would ask a lot of questions. But two is everybody dropped everything that they were doing, no matter what position you were, and would get on the phones and speak to customers and answer emails and do whatever you had to do to make the customer happy. Because you knew you were building something, but if you didn't treat the customer right and give them the respect that they deserve on your problem you were in trouble. And not just trouble with the customer, but trouble with regulators. So it's one of the things we did at E-Trade. And we didn't have many, uh, but they always did happen, but never, never for extended periods of time, maybe a couple hours here or there. But it was a learning experience. And we found the faults and made the business better. And those are the questions my team asked, not just that, but like about routers, like how do we build it so we could be better? And what'd you do back then? And how can we be better at doing it? And I, I really believe that this open mind of wanting to learn is is really important. And I really respect the millennial generation because I really do believe without it, we wouldn't be using our mobiles where we are and doing a lot of the change that is happening in banking, in financial services.
0: Steve, uh, for the for, – for my uh... – my content team that's listening to this show, uh, a, a great quote that I'm going to put here is: "You, you were, you were saying funds are safe before CZ was saying it. You were there in the '90s, telling people at E-Trade, your funds are safe; it's all good. You know, way before crypto, you were doing it first.
1: We had to. I mean, <laughs> it was it was a new industry, yeah. it was online brokerage. You, you, you never. What am I doing? I'm yeah. sending money from." from my bank and you used to send checks. It was, it was a lot of paper apps and uh, core members of my team today and myself built the very first true electronic signature online app for ETrade. And, you know, but you were sending your money to who ETrade? I mean, uh, I have my account at Solomon Smith Barney, if anyone remembers them or, uh, or Shearson Lehman. And they were, they were happier sending their money there than they were to E-Trade. Now that's really changed. Uh, But you had to convince people that it was the right thing to do for their overall growth of wealth. And it was tough. It was not an easy concept.
0: Wow. Um, I want to end off and and ask you about something else you wrote. You wrote that You believe that the crypto evolution will happen in four areas. Uh, You're buying, which covers converting fiat to crypto, Uh, trading, which covers investing, Uh, holding, uh, which covers, you know, custody, non-custodial, but holding is extremely important, and and paying, which is transferring. And in fact, I think that those four areas are what gives Bitcoin and all crypto its value. The better the infrastructure is on those four areas of any crypto or any project, the, the better the project is doing, the better the coin and token is doing. Are we lacking in any of those four areas? Like which which of those four areas do you see in our industry? Um, and I'm talking to mostly like potentially people who want to start new businesses in, or, in, our, in our industry. Uh, where is the infrastructure lacking if someone were to start a new business?
1: I think it's, it's all in its nascent stages. So if you have a better way, there's no perfect way to do that mousetrap yet. And yeah. so we're all building things that could do that. I have a strong, strong belief that, uh, and we'll bring this to market again, probably by early 2021, that all assets are fungible, that if you want to buy Tesla stock and we own a broker dealer, uh, you could buy it using Bitcoin or USDC or some other cryptocurrency. Uh, We strongly believe that and built our router to do that. We also believe that if you wanted to use your Tesla stock to go you know, buy your pay your bar bill for a couple of hundred bucks one night then you could convert it really quickly and be able to use that as a payment mechanism so all these things are going to happen it's just a matter of how to build the mousetrap to do it uh, we're working on those things uh, and one of the real important reasons we did the the circle transaction and, and acquiring their customers and in the customer acquisition was not just that was the strategic ability to partner with them on their USDC coin and what they're doing on that to make it fungible. And I think all those four things are needed to be improved upon for us to really have a full-fledged financial services industry all around digital assets and the pieces are coming.
0: I would love to see a legal and technical uh, all-in-one turnkey solution to tokenizing real estate. I would love to see that. Um, so you can, you talk about capital markets, you do home equity lines of credits, mortgages, loans, uh, transferring of, of real estate, uh, um, be able to, to borrow against it, loan against it, um, to, to do construction projects, to do anything related to real estate, use real estate as an asset to purchase another asset. And if you could tokenize real estate and land, that would be such a huge thing. I would love to see that come to Voyager. But that's just my, that's just me, Charles don't, don't do something just because I asked for it.
1: Don't, uh, you know, it's on the list. Yeah. It's, you know, we, uh, we look at everything and we, we, we do agree with you. I think what you're, what you're really getting at is that owning a piece of a real estate product or a building or, and having it tokenized so I could leverage that and make it fungible. That's where we're going. That's what digitalization and tokenization of every asset class is taking us. That everything becomes fungible and you can use assets, you could borrow against them, you could loan them. That's where it's going. The problem is it's such a big endeavor for one company to take on that everybody's doing things in pieces and eventually the worlds will come together, Uh, but it's impossible for someone, especially the ones that create this innovation are startup companies that never have a billion dollars of capital to do it. And all of us are doing it with the capital we have. And eventually they all come together. It all and all to make this big ecosystem that works for everybody.
0: We've seen that happen. Even competitors like that are, like the CEOs are arguing with each other and fighting on like Twitter, Instagram or whatever. But behind the scenes, all their technology is working together to like grow this whole industry. Um, and on that note, um, I always like to end with something positive. That's really something I like to see because, you know, fighting and, and, and pushing each other to like do better, but also in a, in a positive way is, is one thing. But at the same time, like behind the scenes, when we're all working together to grow this pie, um, is so important. Steve Ehrlich, the, the founder and CEO of Voyager Digital, investvoyager.com. Um, is there anything else you want to add to, to that? And I just want to say, again, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: No, again, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it was great to finally meet you a while back and get to know you a bit. And I look forward to uh, sharing ideas and thoughts with, with you and your team. And, um, you know, there's so much world to conquer. And we yes. got to have people working together to do it. As you said, you know, the positive side of this is, is coming together to build a new world, a new financial, inclusive infrastructure for the world. Totally.
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina Felice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Delaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Schrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, Strength in numbers and information is power.